Well, the last verse that Naya read for us is, is a very controversial verse. It was as controversial in this day as it is today for us, um, but it's a verse that's hard to believe. It's hard to take in. So I want to reread it. Start here, verse 12, Acts 4. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What does that mean? Because as I said, that's a controversial thing and to say that there's only salvation available in one religion, one way, one name, Jesus. That if you're a Christian, you might say, oh yeah, that's true, I believe that. I believe that for a long time, but, but do you really? Do you really believe salvation is available to you only through Jesus Christ? Did you live this week like the only way salvation is true for you is through Jesus Christ? Like, if you lost all your money tomorrow, would you still have salvation? If you lost the respect of your boss or someone you really, you really love and admire, would you still have salvation? Do, you, I mean, do we really believe there is only one name by which salvation is possible? And on the flip side of that, if you're someone maybe outside of faith or, or don't believe in Christianity, I, listen, I understand if you might have trouble with that statement, because we, especially in our culture today, we know lots of people probably who do not believe in God or who do not, um, um, or are part of another religion, or you've seen that in movies or on internet, media, all that. We have all sorts of ways of living available to us, and so the thought that like, well, only Jesus would provide salvation seems a little mean and closed-minded and not um, believable. And, and so what does, that, what does that mean when Peter says, I mean, he's pretty clear on this, what does he mean when he says there is salvation available Nowhere else. There's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. What does he mean? Can we believe that? Should we believe that? Do we believe that? Well, I think one thing that's important as we, we think that out is we can't extract this one sentence from the story. This sentence uh, kind of lives within a story, and Peter means it from within the context of a story. And so to understand what Peter uh, means we have to, to go into the story, and the story has a very particular view of salvation. And so to answer the question, or to, to push into what Peter means in verse 12, we need to start with asking the question, what is salvation? And I think it's important for us, like, because a lot of media uh, visions of, of salvation is like heaven, the Simpsons, like you're on a cloud, you're playing harp, and heaven is kind of where nice people go to do nice things, right? It's like it's where all the nice people are, is heaven. And uh, if that's what salvation is, then what Peter says is very close-minded. If, like, being nice or being good is only available through Jesus Christ, we just, like, factually, that's not true. We know lots of good people or nice people who aren't Christians or who don't believe in God or who don't go to church or who are part of another religion. So if Peter means, uh, I think often what we think he means, which is that, well, all the nice people go to church. We listen. We know that, all right? Well, we're not all nice people. Can we be honest, right? Like, there are nice people outside of church. And so that's not... That's not what Peter means. So what does he mean? Well, as I said, the story is important. And the story, uh, 
really started in Acts 3. And so Acts 3 and 4, they go together. They're telling one story. I mean, all, the whole book of Acts is telling one story. But Acts 3 and 4 are really put together. Um, and so I would say, first, if you, did not, if you weren't here last week, you need to go podcast the sermon, Acts 3. Uh, our partner, Daryl Answer, is a church planner, East uh, Kansas City, East of Troost. You need to go listen to that. One, it's a great sermon. But two, it sort of sets up uh, this morning. And, and to just kind of briefly go back there, what happened in Acts 3 was Peter and John are going to... Uh, to the temple. They're going to church, like you came to church this morning, and, and they're going to pray and to worship God. And as they're going to pray and worship God, there was a man outside the temple that was there every day, um, that had been there for decades, uh, we're told, and, and he couldn't walk. And so his friends brought him and left him there to, to beg for his daily provisions each day. And as Peter and John are walking by this guy, uh, he says, will you be generous to me? Can you give to me? And, and Peter uh, says to this guy, uh, I don't have money, but what I have, I give to you. Get up in the name of Jesus Christ and walk. And he reaches out his hand, pulls the guy up, and he walks. And he walks into the temple, we're told, leaping and praising God. And this obviously attracted a crowd because this guy that everyone had seen for a long time, unable to walk, is now in the temple, leaping and praising God and clinging to Peter and John. So people come over and ask Peter and John, what happened? <laughs> and Peter John preaches, or, uh, Peter preaches a sermon and, and, and lays out salvation in Jesus. And so that's Acts 3. And then Acts 4, what happens is the authorities, the police, notice like there's a commotion happening, there's a crowd gathering, there's, there's turmoil or there's loud noises happening. So they go over and they want to know what's happening. And they see Peter and John there. They remember Peter and John were with Jesus. And if you remember Ananias and Caiaphas, these are important people in the Gospels. They're people who oversaw the execution of Jesus. They see Peter and John, who, uh, who are followers of the man they killed eight weeks ago, and so they throw Peter and John in prison. And the next day, after they've let them think a little bit about, um, about what it is they've done, uh, they pull them out and they say, how did you heal that person? And specifically, by what name did you heal that person. And Peter responds, as Naya read, he says, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Now, that's important. Just to stop there. It's clear they have no interest in le- learning what means this man has been healed by. That's why Peter sort of says, well, if you really want to know, I'll tell you, but you don't want to know. And that'll be important later. Um, and he goes on to say, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, like literally Ananias and Caiaphas, oversaw the crucifixion of Jesus. This Jesus whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. Now, this may not be right, but I think what this means is that this man spent the night in prison with him. Because he's like... They're, like, they're pointing to the guy who couldn't walk, who's now standing next to them. He's like, this guy, the guy you saw who could never walk, he's like standing next to us. Like, and then Jesus did that. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And then Peter says the thing we all have trouble with, which is, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In other words, you want to know what name we did this? It's the only name that can save Anyone. So what does Peter mean when he says salvation comes in no other names? What is salvation? And I think one thing that's important is, is when you read about the miracle accounts in the stories, which again, like to our modern ears, can be difficult. Like we have not seen probably something like this. Um, but the miracles of Jesus, they're never done to impress. 
Like, they're never just acts of, like, like almost like magic tricks on steroids. Like, they're not that, right? So Jesus isn't like, um, you know, like, here, I can make the sun go behind a cloud. And then he, you know, it's like he didn't do that. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't say, look, I can fly and flap my arm. He doesn't do, like, things just to impress people. Miracles, almost without exception. I think I can make the case without exception if you go deep enough into the miracle accounts. Every miracle is done to alleviate suffering, to alleviate trouble and pain. And one reason why we have trouble with miracles or why we're told um, from those in the scientific realm of things is that miracles, they're, in, they're an interruption of the natural order. And that's why they, they, can't be ha- they can't happen because it's like things don't happen that way. And, and Jesus makes you know, blind people see. And that doesn't happen. That's an interruption of the natural order. But if you take the miracle account seriously of Jesus, if like the gospel is true and it all makes sense and it's all, it all really happened, then what it means is Jesus... Um, we're at, we are actually living in the interruption of the natural order. Like blindness and deafness and um, inability to walk, like that is, na- that is unnatural. And Jesus is a restoration of the natural order. It's like we have it backwards. And so Jesus, his miracles were, were to alleviate suffering, were to restore the, the, the order of the world the way it's supposed to be. Salvation, then, is the restoration of of the way the world's supposed to be. That's what salvation is. It's not nice people going to a nice place to do nice things. It is the restoration of the natural order of this broken world. So this week I was, I was on Facebook, um, obviously not being productive. Um, and I don't know, like you scroll down, like videos just start playing on you. Uh, typically, like they found a way to do this to you. And most of the time, uh, let's be honest, we don't scroll. We just start, well, I'll just watch. Let's see what this is about. And so I did that, and it was, uh, it was a video of, um, and it's amazing the technological advances now. There, uh, there are implants they can often give to, to, to people who can't hear that enable the deaf to actually hear now. And so there was a video of this woman who was hearing, uh, hearing words for the first time. There's been a number of these videos who, who, that have gone around. And this, this video was really powerful because they, they turn it on, and the first... The first voice this woman hears is, is uh, one of her parents speaking to her. And you just see her hear and listen. I mean, it's a powerful, uh, powerful moment. And, and then the next person that speaks to her is her boyfriend, whom she's never heard, has no idea what he sounds like. And the first thing that he does, the first thing she hears him speak to her is he proposes to her, right? It's like even me, who has a very small heart, like I'm just tear, I'm tearing up. <laughs> I'm losing it, like, I, I gotta, like, I'm in Starbucks, like, nobody look at me right now, I'm losing it, like, this is, and the reason why we're so moved by that is because that, we know, that's, nat- that's the natural order, we know that. Deafness is not the, in the, the natural order, and so when deafness is healed, it is not a miracle, it is a restoration of the natural order, it is, it is a, a it is salvation, and so salvation is not, it's not nice people going to a nice place to do nice things. It's not on a cloud, on a harp, where all the good people go. Salvation is, is comprehensive. It is everything physical wrong with us, healed and restored. It's everything emotionally wrong with us, healed and restored. It's everything spiritually wrong with us, healed and restored. It is comprehensive. And I understand when, when we say, well, only Jesus can give that to you. I understand. You know, well, what about other religions? Or what about people who've never heard the gospel, don't know about Jesus? And listen, those are very important questions. Those are very good questions. And all I can say to that is, 
No one in the Bible, um, when they experience God's salvation, think he's unfair or not, not, not a fair judge or not a gracious judge. In fact, people tend to be more surprised by God's graciousness than his judgment. But I would say, like, if you're hung up on those questions, like, well, who's saved? And, like, could other religions? And if that's where you're spending your time, you've completely missed the point of the story. The point of this story is not, well, what are the exceptions? And, like, how do we get, like, who, how else can people? No, the point of the story is if you want a comprehensive salvation, if people who can't hear want to hear one day, if people who are, are spiritually broken want to be put back together, then the answer to that question is very clear. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. Don't carve out exceptions. In Jesus, you have a salvation that is available only through him. He's your only option. He's the only one at the table. And so this morning, as you, as you think on this text, what is it that you, you need saved from? Now, what is it that you need saved from? And I think in our culture, and I hear this a lot from people, often it's like, well, my life's pretty good. I don't really have a sense of need of, of salvation. And I would just say, if that's where you're at, I mean, just this isn't very kind, but I'll, I'll try to say it kindly. Um, if that's how you feel, you're pretty naive. You're living in a, a dream world shut off from a world that has a lot of suffering in it. And that world's going to get to you eventually. Right? And so if, if you think, I don't need to say from anything, like, I'm good. It's like, well, do you, are, you, are you looking at the world? <laughs> this, this, is a, this is a place full of trouble, full of suffering. But for the rest of you, who, like, you know what it is that you need to say from. What is it? I mean, name it. Because whatever it is that you, you think about, that you wrote down, it, Jesus is it. He's your only option. There are not other options available to you that, that will lead to physical healing, that will lead to spiritual healing. And this is where Jesus is truly, truly unique in that you will not find another religious founder who spent a significant amount of his energy trying to alleviate suffering, trying to alleviate and heal trouble. No one else did that. No one else cared to do that. They had great teachings that if you follow the teachings, then one day you go to heaven and alleviate. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus came to restore brokenness and to alleviate suffering and to heal as a sign of what his kingdom was coming to do. If you want that salvation, that type of salvation, well, that's why Peter says there is salvation in no one else. Like Jesus is the only option on the block. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you want a comprehensive salvation, it's not, it's not that we Christians are arrogant in offering and saying that. It's that like, well, Jesus is the only one who talked about that. He's the only one who, who, who tried to provide it with his life. He's completely different here. So what is salvation? Well, it's, it's comprehensive. Whatever you, whatever you need saved from, Jesus worked hard to alleviate it, to, to bring it, to bring that salvation. So Peter says that, and, and he finishes his sermon, and Annas and Caiaphas, they're in a bit of a bind. Because on the one hand, they want to snuff out Peter and John like they snuffed out Jesus. Um, I mean, literally, eight, nine weeks ago, they killed Jesus. These are the same guys, and now they have disciples of Jesus who are preaching in Jesus' name. We're told about 5,000 people, or men only, have become Christians. So there's, tens of thousands, there's thousands of Christians right now. They want to stop this from happening and they've got Peter and John preaching, but they have a problem. And the problem is this guy who everybody knows couldn't walk and now knows can walk. And they, know, they just name this. Well, we can't, like, we can't do anything with Peter and John. So they threaten Peter and John. They tell Peter and John, um, don't speak in Jesus' name anymore. Right? Keep healing. 
you can keep teaching, but, but not Jesus. Right, which is all, it's always, Jesus is always going to be a problem. Right, keep teaching, not Jesus, and then Peter and John, they release them, they let them go. And Peter and John, they go to the church, and the church gathers, and the church gathers to pray. And before we read the prayer, just think for a second, what would you pray for? Like if that happened to us as a church, we gathered back in our context, what would we pray for? Two leaders have just been threatened. The people who killed Jesus are now threatening them. They've been told not to speak in Jesus' name. What would we pray for? Here's what they prayed for. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage, the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan was, had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They didn't pray for protection, didn't pray for safety. Despite the fact they knew continuing to preach the gospel might cost them their life, they prayed for boldness. Boldness. That's why some of us, like, maybe rightly get nervous because if you combine verse 12, there's only salvation in Jesus' name with boldness. That can lead to arrogance or pride or people almost coming at the, the, the conversation like, well, my religion is right, which makes me right, which makes you wrong, I'm right, you're wrong. That sort of becomes the way this is played out often. But that's not how boldness in this passage is played out. The Christian boldness, it's very different. At least it should be. I mean, it is different. It's just sometimes Christians act bold in ways that are not Christian. And so we, I want to I be a bold church. But what does that look like? What is that, how do we live that out? And how do they live that out in here in Acts 4? And there's, there's three things I want to say about boldness in light of Acts, Acts 4. The first is that boldness is for healing. Right, so when they, they, they kind of run through the prayer, when they get to the, the request for boldness, uh, verse 29, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, the next line, while you stretch out your hand to heal. The bro, uh, boldness, it has a tension to it. Because on the one hand, boldness is indifferent to other people. It's like, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you want me to do. I'm not going to do what you want me to do, right? That's their, they say, don't preach in Jesus' name. And Peter and John, actually in that moment, to their credit, say, well, actually, we're going to keep doing that. So it's in, you're indifferent to the other person, which is why, like, sometimes boldness can become a problem. It's because when you're indifferent to people, it's not, it cannot be loving. So, for example, my kids, uh, they are very bold. My son, Abel, in particular, he likes to, when I'm napping, he likes to, to find something to grab and then come over and strike me on the head with it which is a very bold strategy, and uh, it wakes me up, right? It's a, it's a bold strategy, and he's very indifferent to my life at this point. 
And, and that's bad boldness. Boldness indifferent to others. But that's not what the disciples are asking for. They are saying, we're going to be bold and speak the gospel. Because as we speak in boldness, God will stretch out his hand to heal. Boldness is for healing. And that's important because Peter and John are not, they're not threatening their enemies. They're not angry. They're not, even tr- they're not trying to get back into the position of cultural power. They're asking for boldness to preach the gospel. It's an others-centered. It's for others. We are, when we speak the gospel in boldness, it is not for ourselves. It is for others. <laughs> it's for healing. So boldness, it's for healing first. But boldness is a willingness to risk anything. And when I was uh, in working at Starbucks, there were a number of moments uh, when I was in grad school, there were a number of moments when I... Uh, I was asked a question, and I really wrestled, like, how do I answer this in the moment? Because there are customers around me who are not Christian. There are coworkers around me who are not um, Christian. And so how, how do I answer this question in, a, like, a healthy, a healthy way? And, and so there was one time in particular I had a coworker who I was good friends with, and we had talked a lot. I knew her and her, um, and her boyfriend. She asked me the question, you know, hey, well, I, we're, my boyfriend and I were thinking about moving in together. What do you think about that? And this is, like, Christians, we believe very weird things about marriage, um, and so I, like, I, when I heard that, like, the reality is, as a Christian, my perspective is, like, marriage and, and living together and sexuality, they all go together, and you shouldn't, like, just give part of yourself some, uh, to someone without giving all of yourself to someone, especially when it comes to sexuality. It's like, we're just, we have, I have weird beliefs um, about that. And so, but that wasn't my first thought. My first thought wasn't, okay, I know I believe weird things about this. How do I, how do I, like, can lovingly, like, talk Jesus into this situation? This is, like, the first question I had in my mind was, like, well, like, could I get fired for this? Could I? Um, Isaiah was on the way in the womb at that point. I needed health insurance. Like, could I lose my health insurance um, over this? Would people think I'm weird? And so Acts, sort of a, it's a rebuke to that. And I think that's, listen, a lot of us, we feel that, right? It's to speak in the name of Jesus. It means you might lose something. And so what are you willing to lose for the sake of Jesus. What have you risked for Jesus? Because, as I said a moment ago, the name of Jesus is always going to be a problem. Right? Anus and Caiaphas, that, listen, keep healing. You guys are great. Like, do that more. But don't, do not preach in Jesus' name. Right? And everybody, else, be a nice person. They love that. Like, serve the poor. It's great. Do not talk about Jesus. Jesus is always going to be a problem. And if you, if you latch yourself onto him, he is going to be a problem for you. And if he's never been a problem for you, he's, you're probably not latched onto him the way you need to be. And I understand, like, there's a tension here. How do you be properly bold? We're like, we're bold in our witness, but at the same time, like, our boldness is for healing. And I think a test, a way to think about this, whether or not you're properly bold, whether or not you're holding back too much or you're giving out too much, um, it's sort of this, is, is if, the na- if, if your boldness has only cost you, right, and you know all sorts of relationships you lost, and you know all sorts of people you made mad, and you know all sorts of things that you lost because of Jesus, but no one has ever been healed in Jesus' name through you, you're probably, you need to dial it back, right? You're, you're my son Abel, you're just whacking people on the head, and they, like, you're bold, but you're indifferent to them. You need, if, if all you have is stories of people angry with you or mad at you, it's probably, and no healing, that's probably a sign you're too, you're bold in the wrong ways. Or on the, on the flip side, 
Um, if you've never had anyone healed through you speaking about Jesus to others, and you can't look at people who, whose lives have been changed or encouraged or, or maybe threatened in like a good way, then you, you're probably not bold enough. Right? As Christians, we experience both. On the one hand, we lose as we speak the gospel, and on the other hand, we should see healing and grace break through. But here's the reality. If you're not willing to risk anything for Jesus, the boldness requires that. And if you think you have a Jesus who's never going to be a problem, you're, that's not Jesus. He's always a problem. So boldness, it's for healing. It is, uh, it is uh, to a willingness to risk anything. And thirdly, boldness is vulnerability. Now, one of the, things, one of the reasons I believe the Bible is true is, is because when you see the miracle workers in the Bible, as they do miracles... Um, what happens is that they, as they do miracles, that actually puts them in danger. Like other religions, like some guy like does something powerful, like, you know, here's a donkey talk or something. And, and it's like, everyone's like, oh, it's amazing. And that more people go. But in the Bible, strangely, at a lot of moments when miracles happen, it puts Jesus or it puts others into more danger. That's what happens here. Peter and John heal a man who could not walk, and now they're in danger. Uh, Jesus, in his own life, there's a moment when a woman who had had a chronic illness thought if she could touch his robe, that, um, that if she could just grab his robe, she'd be healed. And, and we're told when she goes and she touched his, ro- his robe, even though there were a middle, middle crowd of people, everyone touching Jesus, Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? And I felt power go out of me. And also you get the sense that like, G- when Jesus healed, um, the only way he could heal is, like, is if he gave a piece of himself away. Like He felt that. And the most powerful example of this is the healing of Lazarus in John 11. When, the way John tells his gospel story, it's clear that if Jesus goes to heal Lazarus, it's going to cost him his life. And even more than that, after Jesus heals Lazarus, the, the, the leaders, the religious leaders, like Annas and Caiaphas, say, that's it, we have to kill him. Miracles only put the miracles workers in danger. And that's the reason why boldness it's hard. And listen, if you're gonna if you're gonna speak Jesus to other people, it is always gonna put you in a position of vulnerability. You're always gonna be in a danger of losing something. Which is why I think the disciples they go to Psalm two as their prayer guide. You know, this never made sense to me much. I mean, maybe as, as you heard the prayer read, it's like, what does that have to do with anything? Why the this is Psalm 2. Why do the Gentiles rage? The people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. What does that mean? Like why in this moment, as they're, they're reflecting on what's happened, they go to Psalm 2 to lead them in prayer. Why? Well, it's Psalm, Psalm 2 does, does two things. One, it shows you the world as it really is. And the world is opposed to the things of God. And so there's one thing I want to say this morning that I wish someone had told me when I was a kid and I just could have like had this lesson ingrained in me, but I hope you get this lesson ingrained in you. This is really important that you understand. Christianity is not cool. And it never will be. Like if you believe in Jesus, you are you are weird. And rather than like try to like, you know, make us look less weird and we'll be relevant and we'll like let's you know, wear interesting clothes, and, you know, we, I mean, listen, I'm not saying be dumb, but, like, we are weird, and there's no way around that, because what Psalm 2 is saying is that the, organ, the, like the world powers of the day, the kings of the earth, the peoples, the nations, they are set against the ways of God. The world is opposed to the things of God. 
And I grew up thinking, well, I just like make Christianity like look really great and like dress it up in an interesting way and make it relevant. Like, listen, that work is important, but at the, at the core, the reality is the kings of the earth, the rulers of the nations, the peoples are set against the Lord and against his anointed. And the word anointed in Hebrew is Messiah. They're set against Jesus. They're set against the Messiah. And so, listen, can we, let's just own our weird, weirdness. We're not, we're not relevant. We're not cool. We're weird. And we have weird beliefs. And that's okay, because the weird things we believe are actually, they're beautiful and they're healing to this world. But the world does not like those things. And obviously, like, that raises the question, why be weird? Right? Why, why is the gospel historically credible uh, why, or why should we believe the, the gospel if it is such a weird thing? And, and there's two reasons. One is this is historically credible. <clears> that I think it's worth asking the question, how did the church just expand and explode in growth so quickly? Because if you, like, again, as we, we tell the story of Acts, remember Jesus got snuffed out. They just killed him. But why didn't they kill Peter and John? And why didn't they kill the early church? Why was the early church able to grow at such a rate that, that they were not able to be stopped. Because, the, listen, Jerusalem tried to stop the church, and they couldn't. Rome tried to stop the church. They couldn't. Why not? And it's not because, uh, because the religious founder, like, set a really great movement in motion, and Jesus uh, then, like, loosed it on the No, what happened was Jesus died, and everyone left him. And the disciples are very honest about this. Peter said, I denied him three times. Uh, the disciples fled. They're very open about that as they tell the gospel story. Like, when Jesus died, there was not Christianity. There was not a movement. There was not a church. And yet, seven, eight weeks later, the church is growing and expanding at a rate that cannot be stopped. How not? Why, why not? Like, how did Jesus get snuffed out but not the church? Right? And one reason is this is God's plan. I mean, that's, they're, they're saying, well, Psalm 2 said this. Like, the world's going to oppose the Messiah and put him on a cross. We get that. But the other, the other thing that happened is this man who, who was healed. Right, it's my, my favorite verse is verse 10. I've been thinking about it all week. When, you know, how did you heal this? Why, what name? And Peter says, the name of Jesus. And then he says, by Jesus, this man is standing before you well. It's like here's a living testimony of the salvation of Jesus that cannot be argued against. And it's why I think it's historically Incredible is there were, th- there, were gu- there were guys like this walking around Jerusalem. I got healed. And all Jerusalem knew it. And whether they became Christians or not, they saw in Christianity a salvation that they wanted. Like intellectually, you can believe this. Like there are good, historically good, accurate reasons for believing this happened. But beyond that, to move from your mind to your heart, like don't you want this to happen? And don't human beings just, we invest a lot of energy and resources and passion into healing, don't we? The best example of that is uh, in, or not the best, but one example of that is um, in October, I'm going to run, um, I'm going to run a marathon. Um, and I know you're thinking, looking at, like, you're just looking at me thinking, look at that, like, that's going to run a marathon, I don't think so. And first of all, don't judge me. Um, <laughs> But I am, uh, and and second is is the reason I'm running uh, the reason I'm running that marathon is to ru- uh, raise money for muscular dystrophy and to bring awareness to that because there's an organization devoted to healing um, that disease and or that genetic um, mutation. And so, uh, just two Facebook posts, we've raised a few thousand dollars for that. I mean, incredible generosity because people like we invest a lot of energy and time and do stupid things like run marathons, right? To like for healing. 
We want healing. We want this. And I, listen, don't, don't shut off your hearts to that, right? Like, you, you want this. And one of the most powerful things C.S. Lewis ever said is if you have a desire for something, it's a sign that somewhere that desire gets met. And when Peter says to Annas and Caiaphas and to all who is listening, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men which, by which we can be saved. What he's saying, there's a place where that desire for healing and restoration happens. It's in Jesus, in his kingdom. So your heart, our hearts want that. And whether you believe in God or you don't, listen to your heart. Be open to that. So Psalm 2, it shows the world as it is. The world's opposed to God. It doesn't want God. It's opposed, it's opposed to his Messiah. But secondly, Psalm 2 shows God as God is. And so as I said a second ago, boldness always puts the, uh, the person being bold in vulnerability. And the miracle workers of the Bible always were put in a place of vulnerability and in danger. And, and what we have to remember is the aim of Jesus was not for a few people in the first century to begin to see when they couldn't and begin to hear when they couldn't and begin to walk when they couldn't. The miracles that Jesus wanted to perform were not just emotional healing. When he, he sat with a woman at the well who was broken through the abuse she had suffered at the hands of men. The salvation Jesus wanted to provide was not for a few people he met during his three-year ministry. The salvation Jesus wants to provide is not for a few people to be saved, but for anyone to be saved, for anyone who is blind to see, for anyone who's deaf to hear, for anyone who's lame to walk, for anyone who's angry to find love, for anyone who's broken to find healing, to anyone filled with shame to be, to be healed of that. And that miracle, to provide salvation to all people, required vulnerability and required suffering. And as the powers of the day of Jesus, Rome and Herod and Pontius Pilate gathered against him and made Psalm 2 come to life. And they, they set themselves against the Lord and against his Messiah and put him on a cross. That was not done by mistake. That was done because any miracle requires vulnerability. Any miracle salvation requires the miracle worker to go into danger. And Jesus went into danger so that you could have salvation. Not for, so you could become a nice person and go do nice things in a nice place. That is not heaven. Salvation is the restoration of everything that is broken being put right. It is blind people saved and able to see. It's angry people healed so that they can love. It is the deaf who have been healed to hear. It is the greedy who have been healed in order to give. It is the broken who have been healed in order to be loved and to receive love. And it is the lame who have been made able to walk. And everyone in this room, whether you believe or not, we all want that. And there is only one person in history who invested his entire life to say it's available to you. And there's only one person in history who actually gave his life to make it available to you. Which is why Peter says there's salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved. Let's pray. Father, we gather around the name Jesus now. And we recognize in him a generosity and a vulnerability.